Welcome back live to the Bearcat Bounce Podcast, special Monday night edition. This is not Monday night football. This is not Monday night, big Monday, if you will. Throwback to the Big East days. This is the BBP on Monday. Brent Young, Aaron Smith. Aaron, how on earth are we? I mean, I don't think you could have asked for a better game from Saturday night. Nine o'clock. We were pretty much, I mean, you, I think you had us and then you had some Big Ten garbage. Who wants to watch Big Ten? I don't know. <laughs> um, but, no, it was a primetime matchup against SMU, and we took SMU to the woodshed, essentially. I mean, it, there were some things that we could have done a little bit better, but, you know, not to try and, and double dip too much on the Dave After Dark special that kind of stole our thunder a little bit. But uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, it was uh, it was a, a, a very well played game. We finally were firing on both sides of the ball. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was it was I don't know that you could have drawn it up really much better than it went. Yeah. You know, I was saying after the end of the first quarter, it was kind of kind of like that Justin Bieber song picture. Perfect. You don't need no filter. It was perfect. It was it was exactly the first quarter that we want to draw up a 14 nothing lead heading into that second and that second quarter was a little strange, obviously, heading into halftime. It could have been a lot worse if the <laughs> if timeouts were were known how to use. I you know, I think it's kind of in the beginner's manual of being a coach in football or any sport, if you will, to use timeouts in clock situations. I just don't think Sonny Dykes maybe maybe he didn't read it, not exactly sure what that was during that, but either way, twenty two seconds of heading time. into halftime. Yeah, 20, 22, 22 seconds. seconds. And it was gift wrapped to us. They, yeah. they somehow ran only a field goal in 22 seconds. It was absolutely bananas. I I don't know that I've seen anything like that outside of a Bengal stadium. So, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was crazy. Yeah, but also you might say maybe he was a little nervous. Maybe they didn't want to snap it and, and uh, force a turnover or something along those lines. I'm, I'm, I don't know, trying to help him out a little bit in this terrible. cause. Felt terrible for Shane Buchel though, because he came right to, onto the sideline saying, No, that was my fault. Dude, it wasn't your fault. There's no. how many coaches are on the sidelines? That was on, entirely on the coaching staff. Is yeah. they, they could call timeout, like somebody's got to step up and call that time. They were they had two timeouts, figure it out, get a playoff again, gift wrapped 22 seconds to us. Not college basketball where the players have to call the timeouts. This is completely on the coaching staff, I would say. So obviously then the second half comes and it's just the complete domination of the Black Cats, the defense really stepping up, one of the best units in the country. Safe to say, very easily for me to put them in that category. They really stepped up the rest of the way. And before you know it, a couple of touchdowns with under about six minutes left in the game. Balloons the final score, 42 to 13 victory. As you mentioned, the David after dark, even though he wasn't in full after dark mode, they kind of touched on the game, really broke it down. We're going to kind of gloss over it because a lot has happened from between then and now. But kind of Aaron, big picture, what did you take away from the entire SMU game? We've been begging to see Desmond Ritter do things with his feet. We've been begging for it all season. We wanted to see the Desmond Ritter revolt, that dual threat. You can't be a dual threat if you aren't running the ball. And we Mm -hmm. finally got to see Desmond Ritter. He broke one for 91 yards, tying the school record. I mean, it was was really good to see Desmond Ritter look comfortable for 
you know, maybe the first time in a complete game outside of throwing up everything that he had for dinner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, it was it was really good to see Des, you know, out there being Des again. And, uh, you know, we've been we've been begging for that. We've we've seen complete games from the defense before tonight or before this weekend. We just yeah. got to see both sides of the ball run a complete game to script. And it was again, you know, it, I don't think you could have really asked for more. No, you know, you mentioned Desmond Ritter. I, I love when people instantly take to social media and they love to kind of touch on that aspect that you just mentioned. He he left it all out on the field, literally. Uh, you know, that was such a strange thing, a little Willie Beeman-esque, if you like a little Any Given Sunday reference there. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of that situation where, as you mentioned, 179 yards rushing. That 91-yard rush definitely helped, but that's the most rushing yardage in a game for a Bearcat since 2014. Mike Boone had himself a nice nice little 212 yards against USF. And so, I, you know, you you kind of look back on that situation. You say, okay, that's, that is reminiscent of a really good running back currently in the NFL, currently with an NFL contract, gets, you know, some time out of the backfield, especially last year for the Minnesota Vikings. Desmond Ritter, 179 yards. You take away that 91-yard run, you're still looking at, you know, a, a good, what, 80, quick math for you there, 88 yards in, in two touchdowns. I that That is a fantastic running game and you look at then add in Jared Dokes running 20 times for 105 yards and two touchdowns and kind of that in the trenches thing whether you know they're running up the middle or off tackle or a little bit of an option read or a run pass option RPOs this is a team that wants to be able to run the football that wants to be able to kind of have that be the the bed that they lay their head on and that's is what they've been able to show against USF and then now in a big way against SMU. Absolutely. You know, we've talked about it at length this year uh, on this podcast where the run was going to establish the pass. The pass was going to establish the run. And we saw, I mean, I won't say balanced because, you know, uh, Des only threw for 126 yards. But right. when we needed a first down on a third down, I mean, I'm thinking like the Trey Tucker third down, um, you know, he got it done. He got he was able to hit receivers a little bit better than he has been. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't, I can't think off the top of my head too many times where somebody was wide open and he's just missing them on a just right. pass. So, you know, we, we got to see some things from Des that we've been talking about again all year where we wanted to see the Des of old and the Des of old was here. Yeah, you saw some good plays like that. Jordan Jones, little out pattern. Of course, you saw the completion of Michael Young on the third down. It, you know, it's 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 passes like that. Michael Young also had the one drop that some people said was thrown behind. Yes, I see that, but it also goes back to what Coach Luke Fickle has been saying about how you know you've got to help out your quarterback as well. So that's one of those plays, obviously, it was a little bit behind, but if you lead him too much, the defender looked like he was coming in from the other side. You know, either way, you can nitpick that one. But still, you're looking at him spreading the ball around, numerous receivers with multiple catches. You know, you have a beautifully drawn up pass for the first touchdown to Josh Wiley. And then aside from that, you had maybe one or two deep balls. One of them probably should have been completed. Alec Pierce looked like he had a step and was able to put up one arm to try and catch it. The yeah, other arm getting, got pulled down. He was getting his hand held. He was. The other arm got pulled down. We're gonna we're gonna believe me, we're gonna touch on that ad nauseum here in a little bit. But 
you know, it kind of seemed like the flow was really going. And the fact that Desmond Ritter looked for the run, especially, you know, it, it kind of seemed like every single time he kept it on the RPOs, it was a touchdown. Uh, it, it seemed as if he was very decisive on when he kept the football. But when he did, as Chad and Dave mentioned in the Dave After Dark pod, it looked like the complete all the defense was sucked in. And Des had one or two players to beat. That one run where he followed his blockers all the way into the end zone was fantastic. And, and that is when Desmond Ritter is at his best, is when he's able to run the football. And that kind of relaxes him and, and sets him up to find those open slots in the passing game. Even though he didn't have a bunch of yardage, it seemed like he was probably the most confident he's been all season. I mean, it also didn't look like at any point in time, really, he was trying to force something where it wasn't. So, mm-hmm. you know, even even some of the deep passes, you know, the third downs that we were talking about, the touchdown to Josh Wiley, like they were all legit passes. And when he didn't see something instead of trying to force it in, which I feel like he has been doing earlier this season, he was off to the races and behind blockers, like you said. And with Cincinnati being down two blockers this week anyway, uh, it was it was good to see it. Didn't I didn't feel like we missed a step. I actually thought we looked better in the run game than we have really all year. Yeah, and, and you know, that, that crazy stat, you know, eight rushing attempts, 179 yards. That has not happened until last since last year with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, fantastic running back now in the NFL. You're seeing that natural athleticism that Desmond Ritter has. It's the reason why Desmond Ritter is on some radars of NFL teams. You know, everyone nitpicks his inability at times to have the accuracy on the deep ball and different things of that sort. And of course, Cincinnati Bearcat fans will be the most, the absolute most biggest critics, but still he has natural God-given athletic talent. And in this game, he was able to show it like a lot like he did against Boston college in that bowl game. You know, Aaron, when he's clicking like this, it seems like this team is almost going to be very, very, difficult to beat especially with that defense backing them up well this is the first time that I think we've actually seen Cincinnati look like a top 10 team again on both sides of the ball I I mean we were harping on that last week even where we've looked like a top 10 team on defense but for the first time it it felt like we were actually a top 10 offense that complemented the defense so it was I don't know it was kind of a work of art to see us click like that on both sides of the ball and actually resemble a a top 10 team holding an SMU team that had been averaging over 550 yards a game on offense. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that defense is, are are you ready to crown them as elite? Have they made it? I don't know what else they can do for you to crown them elite. Again, when you had an SMU team that was high flying all year long. And I think we'll have another opportunity to see that against Memphis and another opportunity to see that against UCF. And if you can hold both of those teams as well to under 300 yards of offense, how the hell do you not call this team elite? Those teams have have been putting up video game numbers all season long. And if they hold both of those teams under 300 yards, especially Memphis and coming off of a big SMU victory, I don't know how you could call them anything but elite. You know, it hats off to the Bearcat Journal Twitter account. Teams that have played at least two games or more, the Bearcats' defense, the Black Cats, number one in red zone touchdown percentage, number one pass defense efficiency, number three in interceptions, number three in ESPN SP Plus 
sixth in scoring, seventh in red zone. It, it just goes on and on, 11th in overall defense total. You know, but you look back at it. The two most difficult games up to this point was against, at the time, the number one rushing attack in all of college football, and they completely shut that down. Last week against a top five passing attack, as you mentioned, they'll see the number one passing attack in the country a little later in the season. But and they completely shut that down. They they negated it. They took them out of their flow. A lot of drop passes, yes, but that is also predicated on the defense and, and the way that they make alligator arms happen to the opposing wide receivers. You know, this is a defense right now that is so locked in and a defensive coordinator in Marcus Freeman that as Chad and Dave really, really pounded out in the Dave After Dark pod. You just need to sit back and enjoy the time that the Bearcats have Marcus Freeman roaming on the sidelines. Absolutely. I mean, it'd be a mistake for somebody not to try and bring in somebody like a Marcus Freeman. I know I saw a tweet earlier today that said that Luke Fickle's the best coach in Cincinnati uh, or the best football coach in Cincinnati, and Marcus yeah. Freeman is the second best football coach in Cincinnati. And, you know, that's a little- yeah. Full dig at the the Cincinnati Bengals, but I don't know how you could make an argument against either of those statements. They have been doing everything that they need to do. Marcus Freeman, honestly, I mean, it might be time to start talking about Marcus Freeman might be better than Luke Fickle. I don't know, um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was uh, it was really good to see. You know, Jarrell White was flying all over the field. Majay Standards is he continues to again be all over the field, but he doesn't get the stat love that uh, that you know. Jarrell White's getting with all the right. tackles and everything, but he's causing havoc out there. Um, and then, you know, you have the, I think they called it the five headed monster in Kobe <laughs> Bryant and sauce Gardner. And, you know, just all the guys that we have floating around in the backfield there, you know, it's this, where are we, where are we soft in on this defense? I don't think there's a single spot in this defense that you could say that we're anything but solid, if not elite. No, I, you know, and you look at it, obviously, Drell White with, with the 13 total tackles. He's well on pace for the 100 tackles in 10 games, which is just an awesome feat if he is able to reach that. He, he's ahead pace right now. But, you know, I, I want to point out Joel DeBlanco as well. You know, a lot of people talking about DeBlanco leading into the season. Is he going to be able to, to have the, the amount of, you know, big-time plays that Brian Wright had or at least – be good enough to not have a huge drop off at the middle linebacker position. And I, I simply think that Joe DeBlanco is fundamental extreme, you know, the way that he's able to shed blocks at the right time, the way that he's able to fill his gaps when needed. And that that's the main thing that SMU really struggled with was filling the gaps after the defensive line was able to hold some sort of contain because you didn't see anyone really there against the run at times until it was seven yards down the field. You know, sometimes 10 or 12 yards down the field. And that's when the first hit happened once you get past the initial line. So the play of Joel DeBlanco and Darian Beavers, that, you know, it, it just really seems like they're all forming at the right time, which is, needs to happen because you're going up against the gauntlet that is the offenses of the AAC. But overall, I want you to take a step back, Aaron, and, and give me your player of the game. Take it I- it's an easy no-brainer for me. It's Desmond Ritter. You know, we we asked and we actually received. And, you know, he, again, I don't think he really could have done any more. He Mm -hmm. put the offense on his shoulders and he did what was necessary to do to put this game away where, as fans, we were never really worried about this game. No, (laughs) 
I mean, we told you guys to hammer the game on the VBP last week, didn't yep. we, Aaron? We, we said did. hammer it. Hammer it. We said let's let's have a fun night. Let's let's see where the night takes us after that. And and if you listen, then uh, thank you. You're I welcome. Think, I think that was even before they were giving SMU the two and a half. Yeah, that was the minus one. <laughs> it hadn't even swung at that point where SMU was at two and a half. I, I think it got up to three and a half at some point. Uh, absolutely crazy. So, yeah, I hope you hit, hit that hammer hard. So Desmond Ritter finishes as the AAC Offense Player of the Week in the National. Walter Camp, FBS Player of the Week on offense. You know, that's the first Bearcat to do that since 2004. So you're talking the Marty Gilliard, Tony Pike, the Isaiah Pede days. So this is – it's truly a unique performance by Desmond Ritter. And if, if it doesn't completely knock out all the naysayers, all the, you know, the enthusiasts for a change at the quarterback position, it at least puts it at ease for another week because it, it looks like maybe sometimes a winner who can do things that he knows how to do to the ultimate level or at least close to the ultimate level, sometimes that might be better than a rocket launcher arm that sits in the pocket and is able to pick pass and, and you know, put up Brady White and Dylan Gabriel numbers. Like I said, I mean, the guy did everything that you could have asked him to do over 300 yards of offense. Again, you know, you establish those legs as he did this game and you have yourself that dual threat that is really going to put a defense back on its heels. So moving on, if, if there are some things to really try and focus to hone in and work on, number one will be the fumbles. Obviously, you need yeah. that that running back corpse to really shore up the the ball security. It just seemed as if it was a little like a little wet piglet out there, you know. They call it a pigskin, a little wet piglet, and they could not get their arms on it and hold it tightly, you know, high and tight, high and tight. And it didn't look like it on a couple of those fumbles. Obviously you saw the one lost by, by Dokes. That one was a little strange with the targeting lack thereof call. And then of course, Jerome Ford really needs to shore up his ball security, but you know, they're for, for Dokes. Let's take a step back, Aaron. There, there probably should have been a flag. What do you say? I feel like that play was literally the blueprint of why there is a call for targeting. <laughs> I mean, right. I, it looked like Ryan Shazier-esque leading with the crown going in at a, at a running back. And, you know, I, again, I don't know what you could even do to have it be anything that wasn't targeting. It didn't make any sense to me, especially when we're, as the NCAA says that they are, they're out to protect the players. Are you? 12 penalties for 126 yards. Aaron, that is that's UCF numbers, man. That's that's UCF numbers. That is sounding like the Cincinnati of last year. But the bad thing is, a lot of those last year were just kind of just just pardon me, boneheaded plays where no, they were knuckleheaded you know, pre, for sure. Pre snap penalties, you know, different different things that obviously could have been avoided. On Saturday night, it, it seemed as if if you breathed on someone wrong, it was going to be a flag. PI after PI after PI, and it didn't look the same on both sides of the ball, to be quite honest with you. You know, and, and it's it's funny when you're able to give up that many yards, and it's more than the total rushing that SMU had. And it's, you know, it's inching out there pretty close to the total passing yards that SMU had as well. But either way, the things they might need to just fix on a little bit, I guess, would be 
defending passes over 20 yards without completely touching the receiver at all. How do you fix Maybe. not how do you fix not getting this ref crew again? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'd have to we'd have to talk to people a little bit higher than our pay grade. But in the end, it's the problem it is camp. it's every it's every ref crew in the entire conference. It so. is conference it referee. Is. We know that without saying that, but yeah. I mean, believe me, I was white knuckled watching the final drive of the army game because uh, if you did take a little bit of money, which I didn't. I'm just saying theoretically for all the people I told to take the Bearcats in that game. Also, were, I'll say on that, Brent, you live in yes. Indiana. You can talk openly about gambling. You are, you are legally allowed to gamble. It's but, true. But, Chad, I, I travel to Ohio for the game. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know. <laughs> you, gotta, you don't have to hide it. You, you I'm, tell, legally... I'm telling you the crowd to, to read between the lines. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Read between the lines. So, you know, white knuckle. They they called, I believe it was two pass interference penalties on that army drive. That is that is a quarterback that is stepping back and just heaving it up in the air. I, you know, it it really boggled my mind against SMU because it looked like some of those were just great gritty man on man, just press coverage. And oh. as you know, Dave Simone mentioned, yep, that's that's exactly what press coverage is right. in a man to man. Sure, some of them might have been a little bit too handsy, but overall, that's how you play press man coverage. I was going to bring up that same exact point. You know, they said that on the Dave After Dark, you know, it was as if these refs hadn't seen what full press coverage is. And it was, yeah, we all saw it as fans watching the game. It was as if we were watching a different thing than the refs were watching, though. Right. And, and you know, you know that you are really dominating a team. When I got towards the end of the fourth quarter, when I looked at the score, and that score had me saying, okay, 42-13, that should have everyone saying, wow, statement, huge win. But then what else started to trickle in was maybe some critics saying, maybe SMU isn't as good as we thought they were. Maybe that 42-13 to score is more indicative of how bad SMU and the rest of the AAC is and not how good Cincinnati is. So a little devil's advocate for you there. I hope that's not the case. I hope everyone was able to draw out how good the defense was against a high-powered offense of SMU and a very old and experienced quarterback in Shane Bichelle. But overall, I think it was a fantastic game for the Bearcats, whichever way you break it down. I Again, you know, I, it was top to bottom. Uh, it, it, it was the best win that I think we've gotten to take in this year. And it was against a 16-ranked team. Regardless of what people want to call it, it's a 16-ranked team. Yeah, it, it is crazy to look back at the defense. You just name player after player, and they're all just so good. The, the defense is absolutely stacked. I can't wait to see what they do this weekend against Memphis. But after the win, let's move on, Aaron. It is seven in the coaches poll, seven in the AP poll. Yet again, back in the top ten, they do hop. Texas A&M, which is a little significant in my eyes after A&M was on a bye week, I do believe. But, yeah, it, it just seemed as if now things are starting to get in line for Cincinnati to now all of a sudden have the looks at a possible crashing of the party in the college football playoffs. Well, you know, Des Ritter put us as his black – or I'm sorry, Des Howard, Desmond Howard put us on his black horse way at the beginning of the season – even before we knew the Big Ten was going to have a season, uh, 
yet here the Big Ten is making sure that if anybody wins a game or even loses a game that they're in the top 10 for uh, all over or the top 25 all over the place. All you have to all you have to do is win a game in the Big Ten and we'll give you a ranking. No big deal. Unless you're Rutgers, because everybody hates Rutgers. Right. Good point. Good point. So so what? Ohio State with a win. Yep. Penn State with a loss. Yep. Still Penn in the top slides, Right. Slides out of the top ten. Yep. But 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 still right there. And then you see a, a team like a Wisconsin who looked extremely impressive, but against an Illinois team, how good is Illinois? That's a question still yearning to be answered. But doesn't matter. They're Big Ten, so it it kind of does seem like yeah, it's it's will more than one team hop Cincinnati if, if IU string together is a couple a couple more wins, if Michigan strings together a couple more wins, all of a sudden are you seeing a Michigan team that went from you know ranked near the twenties all the way up in the top five, top six? in a couple of weeks and Cincinnati still riding undefeated. It's going to be one of those. I don't know. I, I think Memphis should have been ranked heading into this, this week. They're in at 26. They did get the most votes for anybody that's not in the top 25. Right. Right. So, but it, it's all about that little, that little would, number next to the name. Would have looked real good on the resume to have a third ranked team, as opposed to anybody else who's only beat two. Uh, we are an elite company, though, along with, uh, I think it's Alabama, uh, North Carolina, and Georgia, if I'm not mistaken, as the other three teams that have beat uh, two top 25 programs when they played. Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's obviously something to really hang the hat on. I think maybe one or two more ranked teams at the time of playing them, whether it be, you know, Tulsa at the end of the year, if somehow Central Florida can get ranked again, Houston, as you're about to say, yeah, yep. I, I don't know. I think a lot needs to shake out the right way for the Bearcats, obviously, and it's going to start after this upcoming weekend because this next weekend there isn't much other than possibly a stumble for Ohio State at Penn State, uh, which I don't see very likely. Maybe Oklahoma State finally bows out of the Big 12 talk at home against Texas. But either way, you look at the scores last week, Clemson with a win, Ohio State with a win, Bama, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State squeaked one out against a ranked Iowa State team. It seemed as if all these teams are starting to get the feeling that they need to make their statements as well. I mean, you look at that Notre Dame score, 45-3. to That makes you think, okay, well, maybe if they split a series somehow with Clemson the rest of the way, do two ACC teams all of a sudden make their way in with a Notre Dame and a Clemson? I, I keep, all the I keep hypotheticals are Notre just Dame's tough. ACC. <laughs> it's crazy to think of, right? Crazy to think of, but you know, it, it all boils down to how the AAC can form itself around Cincinnati. How good can the rest of the AAC be? And what were you able to draw away from this past weekend in conference? As you look at the conference, I mean, it wasn't nearly the. Uh, the, the fireworks show that we had last week right. kind of highlighted, especially by UCF and Memphis putting on a clinic on one another's defense, which mm-hmm. I'm still not sure anyone was out on the field, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you see Tulsa, they're, they're South Florida is really bad. So, you know, Tulsa 42, 13, um, they're continuing to back up their talk anyway. And, you know, you bring up the fact that we're, we're going to have them the last game of the season 
that could end up being a very quality win against a what we need going into when you talk about who you're going to invite to what bowl game and what the final rankings are going to look like as both the Pac-12 and the Big Ten continue playing once we're finished with the season. Um, of course, you saw Cincinnati beat SMU, as we've talked about at length. Uh, Memphis beat Temple at Memphis, and that's set up, obviously, for a 26 team. Would have loved to get that 25 ranking, especially with us being on ESPN at the noon game on the mothership, um, the, the flag station, ESPN, not a two, not a news, not a U, not a plus, but the actual ESPN. Um, you also had UCF beat Tulane and uh, taking care of business coming off of a, a loss against Memphis last week. And then you saw Houston take it to Navy because Navy can't figure out if they're a run team only or if they're going to pass the ball. And, you know, Houston just put up too many touchdowns too quickly and took out Navy, which again could set up for a potential top 25 for uh, the AAC in Houston. So, you know, let's, let's boil down that Temple at Memphis game. You know, Chad came on, joined us for a little bit in last week's BBP about the amount of plays that were ran during that up and down, back and forth Memphis UCF game. You look at this game between Memphis and Temple. Temple threw the ball 63 times. Yeah. We're talking about Temple. And they ran it 33 times. That is quick math here. 96 plays for the Temple Owls. Now, this is a team that I would not normally think would have 63 passing attempts and 33 rushing attempts piled on top of each other. But it seems as if this is kind of more indicative of the defense that Memphis has and possibly the defense that UCF has where, okay, you're going to have opportunities to build drives and really stack up the amount of plays that your team has. And, you know, you say all that, but at the same time, let's not forget that Memphis is the team that took us out of the conference championship last year. And yep. we lost back-to-back games against them. So right. until Brady White stops winning, much in the same way that you can't make a quarterback change with Des Ritter, I'm not going to be – I'm not going into a game against Brady White comfortable. Brady no. White wins games. He figures out ways to win games. And, you know, until that dude's gone, I don't feel good going – you know, even hosting a game against Memphis. And then a, a quick look forward as, as that, that matchup against UCF – UCF's going to go into that game against Cincinnati more than likely as one of the most prolific or the most prolific offense in college football history with the amount of passing yards that they're averaging, the amount of yards total that they've been averaging. Aaron, it, it looks like, you know, obviously SMU top five, but as we already kind of teased a little bit, the rest of this conference, we already touched on Memphis a tiny bit, but the rest of this conference is going to be putting up yardage or at least do everything that they can to put up yardage. And Central Florida, in the win against Tulane, just continued piling on the yardage. The crazy thing is the spread against Houston at Houston for Central Florida right now stands at three. Yep. So we know the kind of numbers that UCF has been putting up under Dylan Gabriel. He's been putting up crazy statistics. Like, basically, dude's averaging about five touchdowns a game. It's It's – asinine but 422 yards passing five touchdowns Aaron against Tulane 
It's crazy. So, you know, for Houston to only be three point dogs, I'm curious as to what kind of offensive firepower we're going to see in that game. Because to me, if you expect UCF to put up 40, 50 points as they have been regularly, I don't know. I mean, I know Houston is, is known for having, you know, this high powered offense as well, but I don't know if we're going to see that spread. I don't, Vegas knows what they're doing generally speaking. So I don't know what kind of game we're going to see here in that game next week, but it's, I think it's setting up for a very interesting watch. Well, speaking of Vegas, let's go ahead and roll right into Bearcats best bets. This upcoming weekend, we already touched on it. Not too much ranked versus ranked play. Uh, the teams that are all above of the Bearcats on the polls, one through six, it is only that game at Penn State where it is Ohio State favored by 12 and a half in that one. It seems a little out landish to kind of say that the Nittany Lions are going to be coming back with a vengeance after that crazy loss to IU. My alma mater, by the way. Let me get on the on the soapbox real quick, Aaron. How about <laughs> that? Quite a stretch there at the end by Michael Panix Jr. Able to get the ball across the goal line. I, did you see it? Did, did you think he was over? What are your initial thoughts? I mean, if it was me and I'm on the defensive side of the ball and I see that go, I'm heartbroken right now completely heartbroken that that's called a touchdown however on the other side of the ball if i see that rule to touchdown i'm partying who cares but at the end (laughs) of the day i think that whatever the call was on the field would have had to be the call that stood because i don't think you could have reversed it one way or the other so it's a tough break for the nittany lions it's well done iu tip your cap to them but you know i mean it 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 could have gone either way yeah first win against a team ranked in the top 10 since I want to say late 70s or something along those lines early 70s I believe was a stat for IU so the Hoosiers were big time partying uh saw a couple couches being burned in Bloomington been there done that crazy spot good for IU they kind of took away that that chance of of two big 10 teams making in I think now it would have to be a Wisconsin scenario running the table and, and, you know, some sort of a thing with Ohio state, but that's the biggest one in the top seven above the Bearcats for this weekend. But aside from that, you look at the AAC, anything that really bounces out at you, there's no true big games other than that central Florida at Houston games, obviously going to draw a lot of, a lot of excitement. And then of course, Memphis at Cincinnati, we've already got a little bit of an underlying story leading up to this week of preparation. And, you know, before we get into the story, are we going to say what our best bets are before we're leaving Vegas? You know what? Yeah, let's stay in Vegas. I like that. I'm, I am approaching the sports book. Who are you wanting me to place your bets on since I'm living here in Indiana? I'm going back to that UCF Houston game. My heart, my heart wants Houston to win. And I touched on this in uh, my rewind on Bearcat journal, but my heart wants Houston to win. And the reason being is, if Houston continues as a one-loss team when UC plays them, they're probably going to have a better ranking than if Central Florida comes out of this as a two-loss. Houston becomes a two-loss at that point in time, and it just kind of doesn't really play for us playing another ranked team throughout the rest of the season. That all said, three points doesn't make any sense to me. That's insane. Three points is right. insane. I say take the hammer on UCF and feel good about it because they're putting up way too much, and I don't think Houston's going to be able to keep up with them. 
Yeah, you know, definitely in that one, I look at what BYU was able to do down the stretch against Houston, really piled on, poured on the points there in the latter half. And if you think about it, a couple weeks ago, UCF was the team to beat in the group of five, the team that everyone was talking about, maybe breaking through and finding themselves in the college football playoffs. That's now shifted back towards Cincinnati, which is where I'm going with my hammer. The Bearcats, six and a half. I think they're rolling. I think that this Memphis game, you know, we've touched on it a lot, how Coach Fickle and Coach Freeman select a game each season where they kind of circle it, pinpoint it. It was Navy a couple of years ago. It was UCF last year. This year, I have no confirmation of it, but I'm going to venture out and say after two losses to them last year, especially the one in the AAC championship game, I got to think that Memphis was that one game that they really circled to have a little bit more importance lean towards it. New coach there at Memphis, obviously we're going to touch on it deep and with, with BCJ, but it was a coach that was within the program at the time. So not too much changes. I don't believe within that offense and and how it flows and how it plays, especially with Brady white. But I think that the Bearcat defense is simply humming. I I think the loss of Coxie is, is a little bit bigger than a lot of people are making for Memphis at this point. I've I've got the Bearcats and I've got them by comfortable at, at least seven. But maybe 10, maybe 14, Aaron. I don't know. Crazier things have happened. What about around the country? Just one. If we're going around the country, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at that Michigan-Michigan State game, and I know the trolls have been out real hard with Chad lately but from Michigan <laughs> State. And I'm taking, I'm taking Michigan, man. I'm feeling real good about Ooh. the dumpster fire that is Michigan State right now, and they're still hurting, not signing coach Luke Fickle. I don't know, man. I'm I'm feeling real good about Michigan, and I know people in Ohio don't like me saying that, but I, I think Michigan still – I think the spread, I believe, was 24-and-a-half, mm-hmm. um, and I'm still taking Michigan just because I don't know what Michigan State's even doing this year. Right, right. No, I agree. I agree. And, you know, it, the thing about Michigan State is that I think Chad secretly loves Michigan State. I think Michigan Here's- State is Chad's second favorite college in the country. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. So I hadn't thought about Michigan State in ages, right? Right, right. And then um, you go back about a week and a half, JoJo Johnson decommitted. Ooh. And, and I guess Michigan State fans feel like they're, they're pretty confident that, that they're going to get him. Ooh. So out of nowhere, they started showing up in my mentions trying to talk shit to me. Like, like I cared if JoJo Johnson decommitted or not. Sorry, Dan. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> I, I, but I... Whatever. It's recruiting. Kids decommit all the time, especially in pandemic 2020. Like we've seen more decommitments than we've ever seen. So they show up trying to chirp me. So if you think that they're going to show up trying to chirp me and I'm not going to come back at them after getting their ass kicked by Rutgers, come on. (laughs) Sorry, Dan. Yeah. You know, they, they love you though, Chad. That is like a love thing. They (laughs) love you. Well, I mean, that whole process where they were listening to people that, that clearly had no idea what was happening. Right. And I was the only person out there saying, look, this is at best 50, 50. And the reality right. is Luke Fickle's leaning towards staying in Cincinnati and they called me names and they made fun of me. And uh, you know, they, they, they were, like they were all over again. Yeah. They were after me for like a week, like really after me for like a week on, on this whole on the whole Luke Fickle situation. 
So then when I was right, I might have dunked on him a little bit. I, I right. know that's not I know it's not like me. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not one bit. I know, you know, and all I, I mean, my whole point was you guys should have been listening to me all along. I right. tried to tell you what was happening uh, yeah. and you decided not to. So now you get dunked on. That's that's how the Internet works. And uh, so they think that they're, they're going to continue to try to get that dunk back on me. And it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while. <laughs> The only stance that they always bring up is, oh, yeah, yeah, no, the we, are, yeah. we are power five. So uh, life will never be as bad as it is, even on your best days, man. Okay, well, well they're the worst sense. team in the Big Ten right now. So enjoy. And yeah. that's even worse than Rutgers. Worse than Rutgers. Man, so, Rutgers, Rutgers, man, Rutgers. Greg Ciano, man, he, he already did it once at Rutgers. He's back. Hey, So I, I'm not going to lie, though. I was maybe a little bit concerned that things might not go well in Dallas and I was going to have a long night listening because they, I guarantee you, they were waiting up with that, when that with that when second that, quarter. Yeah. <laughs> when that, when it was a, a, you know, when they cut it to 15 and SMU yeah. was in the red zone uh, on the next possession in like three plays, yeah. they were waiting up. They, they were, <laughs> they, they were, they were ready. They have, they had my at already in the Twitter uh, drafts box. drafts were loaded. Yep, <laughs> yeah. drafts were loaded. Fully ready. So, no. so when when UC pulled away, I had to talk my talk my shit again. Sorry, Dan. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, they they do love me. They have a bit, and it's it's taken over for Michigan fans because if you remember after the Harbaugh James Hudson fiasco, yep, uh, there was oh, about man. a <clears throat> there was about a six month period where uh, Michigan fans were uh, in my mentions. Nonstop. Yeah. So I'm just very popular in the entire state of Michigan. Like if I, if I cross the state lines, there's going to be people looking for me. <laughs> I agree. And I agree. That's why I'm taking the Michigan over. <laughs> and that's, that's why the cookie crumbles. That's why I'm going to talk some more when it happens. Boom. Lock it in. Lock it in. You got Michigan I, for my around the country. I, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. I told you take Florida state at home. Money line against North Carolina. If you listened, you had yourself a big payday. I'm going to do the same thing this week. You guys are all going to enjoy a little bit of a leapfrog, a little bit of a hop by the Bearcats after Texas goes in to Stillwater and is able to beat Oklahoma State outright. But I want you to take the points just in case. Do not go money line. Take the points. Three and a half is what it's at right now, plus three and a half for Texas, the Longhorns. And Lincoln, oh, oh, pardon me, Mr. Herman gets the job done. Okay, so Aaron, Bearcats Best Bets has produced quite the amount of money for everyone involved. Something else that is going to create a lot of money for the coaching staff is the growing success in recruiting. Let's take a look at the football recruiting, a little recruit roundup, if you will. You know, can I can I drop one more one thing in here before you get to that? Need a drop of dimes, yes. Uh, word I'm getting is uh, the initial round of testing following uh, the trip. Positive. Very good. Good news. Oh, don't say positive. Come on. <laughs> good, good news. Pick the wording there. Pick the wording there. Yeah. It, it, it was, yes, there was, there's, well, there was no bad news. 
coming well, out good. of the first round of testing after returning from uh, Dallas. And and there's two other stories we need to get to today before we get to recruiting. Oh, right? I like that. Yes, back to it. Take it away, Aaron. Because we had apparently Memphis is going to be practicing in a parking lot for start. by their choice. By their choice, by the way. Right. By that was because, their decision. Because uh, soccer fields and fiasco there. And then we also have the story that there are not going to be any fans in the stands at any point this year, according to the release by the athletic department. You know, Aaron, I am a, I'm Mr. Positive. I'm going to walk in with, with donuts and, and give you a big old hug. You're, you're drinking just hard coffee and you're going to give them the gruff. So I want you to explain to everybody what, what was spilled out. Cause obviously no fans at the games unideal if you will how about that good good use of that word there unideal if you will that, that word doesn't even sound right man <laughs> it, it, it is completely unideal that there are going to be no fans especially for the big time home games starting this weekend and then of course the whole parking lot fiasco seems like a little bit of clickbait a little bit of hey let's let's get a little added bulletin board material that does not even exist there it's been five years straight running that there has been adjustments to walkthroughs yet it is Memphis's time right now to try and raise up a little bit of a side story to get the team fired up a little bit more I don't buy it I don't eat it and I spit it out well it's certainly created uh, some bulletin board material for the team going into this game you know especially when we haven't allowed anyone to do walkthroughs in five years because of the soccer team, which might I bring up the soccer team when talking about fans in the stands. It's really hard to tell an FCC when you're trying to protect your kids on campus that they can have fans in the stands. Or you, it's, it's really hard to tell them that they can't have fans in the stands when you're allowing fans in the stands because the collegiate program is allowing fans in the stands. So in turn, not allowing fans in the stands with the collegiate program also allows the team to say we're not allowing fans in the stands for FCC. So just kind of trying to see both sides of it because I'm a season ticket holder. I wanted to be there this year. I want to be right. sitting in the end zone away from the students because they're entirely too rambunctious for me in my mid-30s. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's just, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I want to be there. But at the same time, you can't have that going on with COVID and then also have an FCC fans there with COVID and it just, it, it's too much, I think, for where the stadium is located in the heart of campus. Yeah, you know, I, I also think that a lot of people just want to hear from the absolute top. Just just give us, lay out everything. The fans just let everyone know the exact reasons why. Obviously the reasons are pretty blatantly obvious as 2020 has just been 2020. But still, I think it's just kind of one of those where everyone else is doing it. Why can't we situation? But, you know, it's about safety. It's about making sure that no outbreaks again happen. You mentioned all the factors that, that tie into it. So in the end, that's, what, that's where we're at. And if that's how it stays the rest of the way, then it takes a veteran leadership-driven team to really pull themselves out of that situation and kind of rally around each other and pull out those wins. Because, you know, as, as Luke Fickle mentioned, talked to, to Mike Rabel, he said, it's about leadership. If you have leadership on your team, that's going to be what really separates yourself. So I think that with this team, adversity is great because the leadership is so strong. 
But that Memphis thing, I want you to tell me your thoughts on it because the reporter actually mentioned in his article about it. He said, is it something that a, a reporter is going off on a tangent about something that really isn't that big of a deal? Probably yes, but it's still something that seems like a deterrent for a Memphis team going into Cincinnati. So pretty much it is a lot of that, you know, fresh bologna, if you will. Yeah, so I mean, tasty bologna. It's kind of just like a boo-hoo story, much in the same way that Xavier trying to play like, oh, we did everything we could to try and get a crosstown shootout worked out. But, you know, we just the, – the, the, I'm tired of hearing about the Xavier stuff. But, um, you know, with the <laughs> Memphis Tigers stuff, you know, we, we offered to let them do a walkthrough in the bubble, which is right on campus. Memphis said no. So now as if it's almost like a parade of some sort, like we're better than this, they're going to do a walkthrough in the parking lot of the hotel. It just seems like a very look at me moment as opposed to uh, just taking the high road and use the right. stupid bubble. That's what it's there for. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. And it, it's, it seems more of just, you know, this is us, this is who we are. And none of it really surprises me. You know, and, and they said that walkthroughs, at the stadium are important because you are able to figure out and feel what the, what the turf is like and, and, and what it's like, you know what, pull pull out the whole Hoosiers thing, bring out a tape measure, the field goal, the, the goal is still 10 feet high. The, the, the free throw is still at the same distance. Come on, just come on, come on, man. It's, it is sickening and hopefully they move along from it quickly because that is in my sense, a non story, but what is a story, Aaron, can we roll on to recruiting now? What do you think? Go ahead, sir. Little little recruit roundup, you know? We love it. But sadly, one thing we don't love is seasons coming to ends. And in this situation, careers coming to ends, which is what happened to Brian Threats and Dublin Kaufman as they did lose this past weekend, 18-15. to 15. A tough game. Threats finished his career as one of the most electric players in the state in a long time, really, the athlete had finished with over 100 total yards on, in the game and also added an interception on defense, so a great season for threats. Another season that was ended was Dante Corleone, the, the godfather, pardon me, the godfather, lost to Lakota West, but he had a great season. Aaron, the godfather, ready to make an instant impact, whether it be on scout team, whether it be somehow on the field next year, but you look at it, 41 tackles, eight sacks, one forced fumble. We talk about him a lot, but he is the lowest rated position player in this class as of right now that is committed. And yet he is putting up stats and he has the size that looks just college ready. You can't teach size, same as you can't teach speed. And the guy's got a nose for the ball. I mean, 41 tackles, eight sacks, one force fumble, as you said. You know, that's that's nothing to bat an eye at. It's a loss to Lakota West. You know, they're in the in this they're going towards the state championship as well. So Cole Rain can't always win. No, no. <laughs> they can't. Luke Collinsworth had himself another big game. East Central faces a really tough opponent in Indiana, Mooresville, the number two team in the state in the class of 4A, taking on East Central. So Luke Collinsworth will have to have a really good game for East Central to pull that one out. Jack Dingle and his defense dominated again. Same with Omarion Smith. Smith had two sacks and a forced fumble, just what I was able to gather through film watch. But then Caleb Schmitz, again, 
six receptions, 134 yards, and a touchdown in the Section 2 championship game, a 49-14 win. I, you know, We talk about this guy. Is he going to play offense? Is he going to play defense? You're putting up those kind of stats. You're affecting the game in numerous ways. Put him anywhere. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, again, like I said, you can't, can't teach speed. So, you know, you put a guy out there. If he's catching the ball, great. If he's not, then he's probably meant for defense. And then last, we mentioned, we teased it a little bit a couple of BBPs ago. We didn't tell you to quite warm up that tasty cookie recipe that you have. We didn't quite tell you to pour that tasty glass of cold milk. Yet, Cam Jr. signs with the Bearcats, picking them over West Virginia and Pittsburgh. You look at Cam Jr.'s senior season stats. I, I want you to just rattle it off for me real quick, Aaron. Yeah, it's uh, 66 tackles, one sack, 17 tackles for a loss. Or no, it was at 17 tackles against Walnut Hills there. Yep. Okay. 17 tackles against Walnut Hills, 14 tackles at Fairfield, 13 tackles with 10 solo against Princeton at Princeton, a really good Princeton team. You know, this These are stats that a, a primetime player puts up, and Cam Jr. is – very, very good at the linebacker position. And now he joins Jack Dingle in that stretch with all the freshmen, the the three amigos that are currently on the Bearcats roster. This is a linebacking corps that, yes, they lost two last year. They're going to lose three really good ones this year due to graduation. All of a sudden, you need to filter in these new players. And as you saw with the Ty Van Fossen and a Brody Engel in the game against SMU, now you're going to see with the three amigos rising and Cam Jr. as well as Jack Dingle ready to have an instant impact for the Bearcats, whether it be special teams or defensively right away. Cam Jr., the staff was on him heavy. They had to repair a, a broken family relationship between Cincinnati and the juniors. But still, in the end, it was the hard work of the staff bringing Junior in and even harder work by the 2021 class commits to bring them in. You know, you're looking at a Leroy Bowers putting in the work. You're looking at, you know, obviously, Isa Jarman putting in the tough work to bring him in. But in the end, that, that little gathering that they had trying to bring home all the hometown heroes to really paying dividends eight out of the 11 that they invited to the golden ticket Cincinnati visit have signed I, you know I I take a step back Aaron we talk about the staff a lot but you got you got you got to correct your recruiting vernacular bro let's hear it let's hear it eight out they of haven't 11, right? they, they have not signed nobody has signed oh, they can't yes, sign yes. until vernacular, signing I agree <laughs> they have they have committed Committed eight out of because eight out of look, 11 have committed. There we go. Because I, I honestly think people only listen to these to find things to correct. I agree. I agree. <laughs> so if you say that they signed, everyone's no. going to tell you that they haven't signed. Nobody has signed yet. That comes in December. Commits, which commits, thank is, you, which is like six, eight weeks. Away. So we're like seven weeks away from signing day, which is unfathomable <laughs> i can't even imagine that we're already almost you know getting towards the end of the season and, and signing day but we are it's, it's 2020 2020 chad i mean how that, can he how can a year go equally fast slow and, slow, and yeah. fast yeah how does that happen i, I don't Man, understand it it's 2020 it's I mean, mind-boggling get ready to lose an hour of sleep too or gain an no, hour gain, gain an, an hour, hour of sleep gain an hour sorry 
an hour of sunlight. Why couldn't why couldn't this week be the uh, nine o'clock kickoff? Ooh, that's a good point. Would have made things a little bit more simple. I, I, now I like it's just that. gonna like now a noonday, and we get an extra hour. Oh, I'm gonna be struggling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's Halloween. It's Halloween, oh. and, a, yeah. and a blue moon. A blue moon. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's tasty. But <laughs> yes, eight out of the 11 visitors for the golden ticket have committed. There you to go. The Bearcats committed now in the anticipation to sign. What's your thoughts, though, on the timing of Cam Jr.'s commitment, especially after JoJo's gone? I, you know, I, I don't think the two were intertwined. No, there's no correlation. No, no correlation. But I do think what it was was. Just the constant recruitment, not only of the staff for Cam Jr., but obviously the class. Just if if you follow Twitter at all, these 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 commits have been harping on Cam Jr. for months, trying to convince well, I, him to join the hometown hero movement. I, I don't think did nobody really caught it. Did you see the end of his video when he committed? Yes, yes, Dante Corleone. And Asa Jarman, as well as Ace Jarman and Leroy and Leroy Bowers, which Leroy Bowers looks huge yeah he looks like a big dude i mean that that is that tells you right there it wasn't like he had his family stuff but it was the three guys that had just you know that that he had been friends with for years um that that he dated back to to you know peewee football with that were huge in getting him to commit and he had the three of them on the field at the end of his video um, I, I just didn't, I didn't see many people notice or like talk about that, but I, I thought that was a pretty big deal. Oh, I, I, I loved it. I only bring up the question cause I saw plenty of people on Twitter asking it and just wanted it to be out there in the world, man. No, no, yeah. it had one had absolutely. I mean, they're two completely different guys, you know, uh, Jojo was a guy that was going to help maybe in the, in the secondary or on offense, depending on who won that fight? I'm guessing, knowing how fights go at uh, the Linder Center, I'm guessing Marcus <laughs> Marcus Freeman probably would have won that fight. Um, but but that was a guy that that you know was more of a skilled back end or like a you know a high skill guy. Where uh, although when I talked to Cam, Cam talked a lot about he could potentially even play safety here, which who uh, my yeah. guess is is outside linebacker, but. Right. Somebody that size with that much speed. I mean, you know, his dad is in the college football hall of fame. Like there's pedigree with, Mm -hmm. with Cam jr. So we'll see. Yeah. I, either way, it's, it's, it's a great signing when there was, you know, priority targets kind of talked about by the staff and who they were looking for. Cam jr. Was one where, you know, you mentioned a lot with, with film, but his film pops. He's, he's a downfield player. He's going to hit you. He's going to bring the boom instead of absorbing it. And he is just one of these players that really, you can see Middletown, right? Middleton or whatever, you know, whatever it is. I, they are not by any means the pinnacle of, Cincinnati area football, but he on that defense, when you're putting up 14 tackles, when you're putting up, you know, 13 tackles, double digit tackles, when you are that one player on defense, one of the couple players on defense that the offense says you absolutely need to get a head on a hat with him. Make sure that junior does not get near the ball at all. He's our main focal point on both sides. It is Middletown. Just ask Tom Brenneman. Middletown. That's where Kyle Schwarber's from, and he'll tell you all day about it. 
Middletown, right? Middletown, the middies, the Middletown middies. And you know, it's so, so he is the focal point of every attack. And when you're able to put up those stats against that, it's big time. So he's going to have a big effect on this team for the upcoming seasons. I, you know, I think he was a huge signee and I think he's going to be great to add to the hometown hero movement. But Aaron, anything you want to touch on before we move on to the other big news that really popped, really, really popped keyword popped. I'm ready to talk this today. Ready to talk. Let's talk hoops. We're going to wrap up the BBP with hoops. And today a bubble popped the Orlando bubble. That is ESPN pulls out all of a sudden, all these MTE events are, are now scrambling multiple high level teams caught scrambling and word is starting to trickle that it is looking a lot closer to the entire college basketball season being conference only Aaron it's this this is a mess it's an a hot mess, mess man absolutely it i mean especially for a mid-major program like a cincinnati like you know i mean well mid-major i mean the group of five you know i mean high well, a, a, a high-end mid-major i mean i get it but you know we're not the acc we're not we we're all tired of hearing about the big east they stole our conference it's fine um you know i mean it's just uh all these MTEs really give a chance for teams that don't traditionally have a bunch of top 25 ranked programs in their conference gives them Mm -hmm. a chance to really shine against some of those top 25 programs. And here you are without that opportunity, you know, even against a a team that maybe is fringe or, you know, like a, like a Tennessee who's sometimes in that top 25, sometimes isn't, or, you know, just kind of gives you some harder, tougher matchups than, you know, an ECU or a Tulane. And if we're only right. playing a conference, that's really all we're going to be looking at outside of, you know, of course you got Memphis, you got Houston, you got central Florida, who's been making a little bit of noise here over the last couple of years, but I don't know. It's, it really is a giant mess. And I know that after having read up on it, a lot of it has to do with the COVID testing that the, they were they were trying to keep it to where it followed cdc guidelines but the programs weren't necessarily wanting to test their kids that much for probably a variety of reasons one for comfortability for the the student athletes but also at the same time it's expensive let's let's call a spade a spade you know none of these programs are really trying to lose any more money than they have to as they're already hemorrhaging money because there aren't going to be fans and i don't know if we're going to see any fans here in college basketball as the stadiums are not open air as you have in football, but rather, you know, closed, you're going to have a lot of circulation of recycled air because it's what we're all breathing. So I don't know how you do the, uh, the social distancing and allowing fans in the stands at college basketball compared to, to football. It just seems to me like if you're looking out for the absolute safety of the players that you're not going to have those fans in the stands, but. I don't know. It's like you said, I don't know. You can say it any better. It's a huge mess. Yeah. You know, you look at it, it is to the point, numerous conferences, numerous teams within those conference, all going to this Orlando bubble, all where ESPN is trying to work with everyone, set up the proper guidelines when each conference has their own set of guidelines and each team for the most part has their own set of guidelines as well. It's not like the NBA where you can have one 
head and that entire team is, you know, that's going to be the standard. That is the industry standard. You know, the NCAA doesn't have that ruling over everyone. It is conference-based, conference-laden. Now what the NCAA does have is the NCAA tournament. So all these teams want to find their way to the tournament. And as you mentioned, it's tough to build a resume when you can't Schedule the teams that will help you in the out-of-conference build a resume for the tournament, and that's when I feel bad for John Brandon and how methodical and how to the system and culture-based he is, where he had some things lined up. He was putting his ducks in a row, ducks in line, ducks in order, and all of a sudden those ducks have quacked and flown away. All of a sudden you're left with, you know, what's going to happen? Back to square one. So I am interested to see what happens as, as the after effects in the next couple of weeks, because obviously you want to be able to play some out of conference games. If all conferences decide to go to conference only a lot like college football did, then I tell you what, this, this pandemic COVID has literally taken over for an entire year and it has put its stamp on college football at the end of 2020 season. And now at the beginning as well, it's, it's really throwing everyone for a loop. I just hope that things are able to figure themselves out and teams are able to really pinpoint and break down. We need games. Let's make it happen. Let's not forget how gracious Xavier was in the way that they handled the crosstown shootout. And if we go to (laughs) conference only games, well, maybe we should have done two next year. Empathy, compassion, empathy, compassion. You know, ESPN so quickly pulled out. The, when when word was starting to come out, I believe it was yesterday, word was starting to trickle out that there might be some complications with the games in Orlando. Uh, Matt and Orlando was all over it on Twitter, just, just mentioning, hey, keep an eye on this. It's looking like things are going to happen quickly. ESPN just, boom, immediately pulling out. So, you know, I... It shows you how much yeah. control ESPN has over college basketball, though. It's disgusting. That, oh, money. Uh, Ooh. It's disgusting how much control a television network has over the NCAA and collegiate sports. It's asinine. Yeah, it, it, it just really shows you how much money-driven everything is. But it also touches on what Chad has been harping on on the boards and what pretty much every media member has been saying is that no one knows when it comes to college basketball this season. No one truly knows. You can you can say that we have this game scheduled on this day, say that we have these games in, you know, in order to try and hopefully happen with MTEs here, MTEs there. You know, nothing is finalized until it actually happens. You know, we saw that happen in football with the Tulsa game. It was scheduled. It was supposed to happen. Things that are really outside of control if you break it down happened and all of a sudden things adjusted right now in college basketball no one has the answers and what happened today the orlando bubble being popped which is a lot of people thought was going to be the best option for out of conference games especially the mte versions now all of a sudden you're you are stuck back to square one and you really have no idea what's going to happen just like we have been saying for months well couple that with the fact that you're seeing covid numbers go up all around the country and it's really just no, I, who knows what next week looks like, much less you know, this season. Flu season, flu season. But we did do a little where's Waldo with the practice videos that came out. Zach Harvey was in the practice videos. Good yep. to see. 
Good to see the team out there. Looks like they're they're knocking down some threes. I'm a guy that watches highlights and pretends that that's what happens the entire practice. They're just making all their shots. Great putback dunks by Daddy Do. And you know what? I look at this team. I, I really just need them to get out on the court no matter what, because I think that they are going to surprise people. I, I think their their sum of all their pieces is going to be a very good and deep team. This is maybe the team that's had the most question marks in quite some time, as in we don't know what we have, but that's because we have so many new transfers and new freshmen coming in. And right. I couldn't, I don't know that I could be more excited about this year's team. Tari Eason, I'm real excited to see that guy on the court because I think that he could break the starting lineup before season's end. Um, you know, you got the uh, you got the twins coming in from Indiana. Your your boys, Indiana, oh, from Illinois. Minnesota, Minnesota. I'm way off. Good lord, Minnesota. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's a uh, it's it's an exciting time for for basketball here this year. You got the return of uh, Brooklyn coming back. Dude comes back. K- hopefully, K two, K two. Dude's coming back with you know the the daddy mentality now. So it uh, yep. it, it should be interesting to see him. I'm not sure if he's going to be starting or not. Comes the start of the season uh, with vote there, but it's not bad to have him there right behind vote. Um, I don't know. There's so many new pieces here. Um, right. And that's that I, I feel like I missed about three or four of them. <laughs> you know, we're going to have a complete breakdown when the season gets closer. I We just, with this news today, with the fluidity of the beginning of the college basketball season and, and kind of when the Bearcats will even start is still one of those situations where we don't really know yet. So hopefully in a couple of weeks, things are a little bit more broken down, a little, little bit more in place and we can have a full team breakdown. But for right now, I'm about as confused as uh, Chad Brendel is on a Sunday night after the Bengals yet again lose another game. I don't give a crap if the Bengals lose another game. (laughs) (laughs) I I would say be on the lookout. I might be at war with this guy from Memphis here soon. I like that. He he tweeted out, I'm sorry for calling this a stunt. Turns out Cincinnati has been Bush League about walkthroughs for five years now. Uh, so I replied, which from the sound of things today is similar to your reporting style. Bum, 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 bum. Wow, you said that? I did. Woo! The popcorn look, out, guys. Look, the field is closed on Fridays. Yeah. That, that's it? Mm-hmm. Closed. Like, the, there's no the, – Cincinnati can't go on it. The opposing team can't go on it. Shakely is offered if you would like to use it. Right. But but Nippert Stadium on Fridays is closed for painting. That is every home game. And it's going to be Friday. a lot of paint, a lot of paint today because this week because they're going with that black field, that Halloween look. Aaron, you heard about that one? I, you know what? They did look into that, like to see what it would cost. Right. To paint the whole field black? Over $100,000 to paint yeah. the field black. It was such an amazing rendering last year. Oh, when... yeah. Oh, it was, it was awesome. awesome. When it went viral. Oh, my God. They meant but it they as did, a they... joke. Yeah. I know. I know. But they, they did look into it just to see, like, could we do this? And they could have, but it would have been $100,000 to paint the field black. 
And that's the insider it, information you pay for from Bearcat Journal, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Even though and, this podcast is free. <laughs> and, and once that word comes out that it costs that much, whoo, 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 you got a whole brand new bed of issues coming at you. <laughs> exactly. Um, but Chad, Chad, I, I do want to hear your just, just initial thoughts about the whole Orlando thing. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I started hinting at this at about 10, 12 days ago. Mm-hmm. that I got a sense it was falling apart. Just too many conferences, too many hands in the cookie jar. You right. know, the, the whole, like, if you test positive, if, if one person tested positive down there, not 14. only were not only were you out of the event. So anybody you have to places, stay there. You have to stay there for 14 days. Yeah. But your, Orlando. Team, your team and any other team that you were playing against is also yeah, out. Is also, like, it just, it became too much. Um, yeah. which is unfortunate because I, you know, there were a lot of, uh, positives that, that could have come out of that event, but it, it just, once you get that many different people with that many different policies, that many different protocols, people are asking like, why, why is it a big deal? If, you know, if, if you have a player that's, that was positive 90 days ago. Yeah. But what happens if, it's still in his system and he pops positive on the testing. So he's not positive. He's gone through COVID, but it shows up in his system. Now he's positive. Now you don't get to play in the event and your team is stuck in Orlando for 14 days. Well, and let's not forget about (laughs) the NBA players who were playing in the bubble and how many people will, we'll say people they tried to sneak in. (laughs) Well, that's not, I mean, I, look, I, you I can only look, imagine look. college students. Though. No, 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 no. That's not how that works, bro. College kids, college kids at Cincinnati are not getting Instagram models with 150,000 followers to sneak into the bubble to see them. Maybe Kentucky. Maybe I'm not, yeah. Kentucky. I'm not saying that Cincinnati would even necessarily be the people doing it. I'm just saying you got a bunch of kids under 20, 20 years old. People are going to make some dumb mistakes. Yeah, but remember, like, getting a girl to sneak into the bubble is a two-way street. And there's a whole lot more incentive to sneak into the bubble to see a NBA guy like Tyler Hero making, you know, $8 million a year. The, the incentive is a little different than come hang out with the broke college kid <laughs> stuck in Orlando would be, with, his, with his basketball team. It would be more <laughs> of a uh, of, of a Seattle Seahawks situation where you are sneaking someone in and you say, this is Sam Martin. This is not right. a girl. This is Sam Martin. <laughs> I promise it's Sam Martin. But no, so I think it's a little bit more of those situations. But I agree, Aaron. That uh, which that just ties into the whole entire, you know, policing. How are you going to police the entire thing? There's just like Chad said, too many hands in the cookie jar. But I, I just really hope that they don't make that move that a lot of a lot of conferences in college football did, where it's just conference only. Because then all of a sudden you're looking at a selection Sunday where. Literally, no one will know which way the committee would go. Well, no one. We'll see what the tournament even looks like at that point. Yeah. As yeah. you have so, four four bubbles around the country, and that's it. Yeah, it's it's insane. But you know, we've uh, we've gone over here, Aaron. Any uh, anything in closing that you want? Little little Monday night edition of the BBP. I think it went pretty smooth. Pretty, uh, pretty easy. A lot of information, obviously, because once Sunday it leads into Monday, that's I feel like when everyone wants to just make something happen. No, I just think it's funny that Chad said he was going to jump in too much, and I knew I was going to get him in with the Michigan State talk. <laughs> yeah, that was the uh, the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will. <laughs> Nothing. Which bad. he's 
He's no, he is locked in. He's locked in. <laughs> oh, you know, what'd, you know. What'd you tell you Mr. Know. Memphis? Uh, I'm, I haven't hit send yet, so um, I'm working on. I'm crafting. I'm crafting right now. But you know, like my my blood acts differently. Plus, like I slept like 19 hours yesterday. Aaron tried to like guilt me into doing the show, and I was like, talking about. I, I was like, I, I don't think I, like I tried to be nice the first time. And then I was like, I don't think you understand. I'm going to bed. <laughs> um, I was in bed by like 945 last night, which is probably the first time I've been in bed before midnight since like the Clinton administration. Yeah. Ooh, taking it back. That, I mean, there's been a couple other times I haven't felt well and gone to sleep early, but you get the point. Like I, I felt yes. like total doo-doo yesterday. So Today I felt a little bit better, and then now it's like this is when Chad's awake, and now I've got a fight to pick with somebody. I'm probably mm-hmm. gonna be I'm probably gonna be up late. Lock it in. <laughs> Lock it in. Stay tuned to the Twitters. We'll see if he we'll see if he takes the bait. Can't wait. I think he will. I think he will. All right, but, we'll find out. All right. Well, Chad, if you don't have anything else for us, thank you for hopping no, on, Dad. Good. That, Thanks, was, that no was exciting. <laughs> and Aaron, anything in closing before we close this one up? That's all, man. Man, we I, have a uh, – go ahead. Get uh, us out of here. That's all I was going to say. You know, I, you know, I'll get us out of here. Big game this weekend, obviously. They only get bigger from here on out. Memphis, I do think it was the game that Marcus Freeman and Luke Fickle circled. We will see if they can somehow – innuendo that to us throughout the week and, and we're going to be covering it wall to wall on BCJ leading up to the noon kickoff at Nippert Stadium on Halloween day but for my podcast partner budding friend and Mr. Dad himself Aaron Smith, Chad Brendel, I am Brent Young, that again BBP here on BearcatJournal.com <laughs>